Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So for those of you who got Bibles, if you could turn to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. And we are continuing our series this morning on gospel encounters. And I'd like to talk about rest. We all would like a rest, wouldn't we? Um, and I'd just like to unpack that with this, starting with this um, story of Jesus where he met a couple of ladies called Mary and Martha. So I'm reading from Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 38, and I'm actually reading from the New King James Version, which Julian will be delighted to hear. Now it happened as, as they went, as they went, that they, and he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And this is not the parable of the good and bad sister. And it's not the parable of serving over laziness. And it's not the parable of sitting around over organisation. But Martha wanted to serve Jesus. And as you know, we're all about serving in this church. But first, we need to be those that are reliant upon the Lord. Our focus should be about him and it's important that we don't hide behind busyness because busyness isn't always good but our focus should be to sit at his feet and listen to his voice Mary's attitude was dependent on Jesus to learn of him and yet when we're serving it's not all glory and recognition is it when we're we're not always front and centre of stage when we're serving But God wants us to be defined by one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus in our lives. He doesn't want us defined by our serving. He doesn't want us defined by our job or our title, our lifestyle or attitude. He wants us to be totally defined by him. Some of us tend to be more like Mary in our Christian walk, while others resemble Martha. But I think there's those quantities in both of us, both of those quantities within us. And I have to ask the question, are we a Mary or a Martha this morning? We can be inclined sometimes to let our busy lives and that of our service in the body distract us from spending time with Jesus. And it's significant to note that Jesus admonished Martha for being upset and worried, not for serving. Serving is a good thing but sitting at the feet of Jesus is best. But we must remember this, that good works do not, pro- do not produce a Christ-centred life. Good works should flow from a Christ-centred life. Because when we give Jesus the attention he deserves, it empowers us to serve others better. And we've, we often talked about that, about our ministry on the door and our ministry in serving generally in the church. When Jesus is the centre of it, it allows us to do it in a Christ-centred way. 
So Martha's worried. She's rushing around, serving, making sure that everything's right for a beloved guest. And there's Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And you can imagine how Martha felt. She was irritated, resentful, frustrated. Why should she be doing all the work? Surely Martha, Mary should be helping her. And in fact, she was so justified with indignation that she actually went to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me serving alone? Tell her to help me. How many times have I done this or felt like it? But instead of in fulfilling her demands, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. One thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. But as far as Martha was concerned, that must have seemed a slap in the face in her opinion. She was doing everything in her power to make Jesus feel welcome and being hospitable. And in her words, Mary was just sat there doing the right thing. Does that sound familiar to some people? But we need to make sure that our priorities are right because we can easily get so wrapped up in things that we need to do that we lose sight of what we really need to do. And we can get so wrapped up in the cares of life. Jesus makes this very clear in his parable in Matthew 13 when he talks about the seed. The seed that fell amongst the thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth and so no fruit is produced. And so the highest priority in our lives needs to be choosing the good part, what Mary did to learn of Jesus and to become more like him. You see, it's love and devotion to him. It's love and devotion to him that makes everything else of secondary importance. To seek the riches and wisdom and understanding of him if we're going to become disciples of Christ. A disciple is another word for a follower of Christ. One who wants to be like the master. As a disciple we follow Jesus who is the master and by living like him we actually become more like him. In Matthew 16 Jesus says this to his disciples. He said, if anyone wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. You must give up your own way. And so many times we hear people say, I did it my way. Do you know, I was, I, was read, I was reading an article the other day and the biggest song that's played at funerals is Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And I just thought that was so bad. Because when I die, I'd like people to say, he did it Jesus' way, not my way. A disciple learns of the master. It's not an excuse to be lazy. It's not an excuse not to take responsibility for anything because that's entirely another trap. But James warns us that we need to be doers of the word and not hearers also. We need to do what God calls us to do. We need to be those that are led by the Spirit. And when we hear his voice, we choose the good part. There is no benefit and blessing in running our lives based on our own human understanding and what we think is important. Mary understood that she needed to learn more of her master and to seek the things that have eternal value. 
It's when we do that we can be a blessing, when we, when we live a spirit-driven life. Because the pursuit of love, the pursuit of him, causes us to listen and to learn and to keep his commandments. In 1 John we read, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. But we need to take care because we can fall into the same trap that Martha did. We can be so troubled by what we perceive as negative behaviour in others and become so self-righteous in our good works that we start to judge others for not doing so. Little whispers and lies, accusations creep into our minds, creating conflict, and we move in the opposite direction of the good part, away from Jesus. And to entertain these thoughts and all sorts of untrouble and rest in our lives, we need to slam the door on them. Paul warns Timothy in Timothy 4, he says, Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. The wrong choice was that Martha made was that serving was good. She did the right thing. But it was the demands and criticisms that she made on Mary because Mary was doing what she was, was right for her. And if we're living before the face of God, we need to be very careful that we don't look round at others and judge them. Because they live, other people are living in the obedience and promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we don't know how God is leading other people. We need to be gracious sometimes and trust that God is doing a great work in other people's lives. When um, many years ago, when this church started, when it was called the Rock of Life, we met in a building in Broughton Astley, very similar to this, and we had a very nomadic life. And we had all the, thing, all the issues we have here with storage and moving things back and forth. <clears throat> and it was my role to oversee all that. And I oversaw the PA and greeting and hosting and all the rest of it. And I was very proud because... I'd not been in a meeting for two years. For two years, I'd been there slaving away, working hard, making sure that everything happened. And I was so proud of the fact that I'd not been in a meeting for two years. And I remember, David, I remember telling David this one day, and he said to me, Stephen, stop being a Martha. And I was not blessed by that at all. <laughs> not at all. But as I went away and I thought about it, I was completely obsessed with detail. I wasn't doing things in the power of the Spirit. I wanted to make sure that my finger was on everything. And that wasn't right. And I know that when I learned that lesson and I held things a little bit more lightly, God did some amazing things in my life. And um, I just want to share that with you. Because God wants you to make sure that your drive is seeking him and it's not just doing something within the body. Martha was worried and upset about all the detail and often we're like that, aren't we? What if, in case, maybe if. We can get so worked up in considering all the detail and forget that we are actually in him. If I said to you this morning, what's the greatest verse in the Bible? What would you say it is? Anybody read the Bible? 
Ooh. It's pretty good. Any others? Mm. Well, John 3.16. That's what's in my notes. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> John 3.16. But I think the second greatest verse in the Bible is this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Mary was weary. She was carrying a heavy burden. She was not at peace. She was not at rest. She was upset. She was concerned with detail. And this can affect everything. So what would have happened if Martha hadn't prepared the dinner? Jesus would have just said, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? I'm sure that's what would have happened. But she was not at a place of rest. She was trying to second guess God in doing everything in her own strength. And God wants us to come to a place of rest. More than physical rest, but that's important. Benjamin Franklin said this, he said, He that can rest is greater than he that can take cities. And ask any doctor and he'll tell you that rest or she, and she would, he, he or she will tell you that rest is essential for physical health. When the body is deprived of rest, it's unable to rebuild, to recharge itself. Your body requires rest. Philosophers through the ages have told us that rest is essential for the mind. Ovid, the Roman prophet, said this, Take rest. A field that is rested gives a bountiful crop. And any corporate leader will tell you that rest is essential for productivity. Forbes magazine wrote, If, if you, can only, you can only work so hard and do so much in a day, everybody needs rest to recharge. Your productivity requires rest. Rest is essential for the soul. The Bible teaches us the importance of setting aside a period for rest. Rest is essential. And yet when you ask people today in the frenzied culture and success-centred world that we live in, if they intentionally set time aside for rest, most of them will tell you, I'm too busy. Even fewer would set aside any concentrated time for rest. There are just too many things to be done. Too many demands, too many responsibilities, too many bills to pay, too much urgency. Nobody can afford to waste time resting in today's results-orientated world. But I think we'd be wise to reclaim the practice of resting, to consider the benefits. Healthier bodies, less stress, deeper relationships, opportunities for reflection, increased productivity, productivity and reserve for life's emergencies and when I look around people in the world today their outward appearance often reflects the inward man and I look at people and I think you need a rest I would love a rest but the good news is that rest is in the very heart of God's nature let's turn to the book of Genesis chapter one Genesis means the beginnings and every thread every theme in the bible starts in genesis and we're looking at genesis chapter 1 verse 1 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, making the first day. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heaven from the waters of the earth. And, and that is what happened. And God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. And God called the space sky. Sky, you're the first person mentioned in the Bible. It wasn't Adam. And evening passed and morning came, making the second day. Incidentally, let me just point something out to you, that God saw it was good. It doesn't have to be completed for it to be good. God said this on the first day, and on the last day he said it was very good. And God is doing a great work in all of us. So be encouraged this morning, wherever you are at, God is doing a great work in you. Paul said to the Philippians, I am certain that God has begun the good work within you and will continue it until the final finishing on the day of Jesus Christ. We used to sing a song many years ago, didn't we, Julian? I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God is doing a good work in all of us. So don't look at yourself and expect to see perfection because God hasn't finished yet. And I'm not just speaking to Maria. I'm speaking to everybody in this room that God is, God is pleased with what he's doing in your life. He's done a good work in you and he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Anyway, back to the message. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry across the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit for the trees, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything has life, and that is what happened. And then God looked over all that he'd made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, making the sixth day. So God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day that he had rested from all the work of creation. God completes the pinnacle of his creation, man, and commissions man to rule, to reign, to fill, to multiply, to conquer the earth, to subdue it as some versions say. And what's the first thing they do? They have a rest. He doesn't say, I've created it all, let's go, 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 go. The first thing he says is, let's have a rest. When I was at junior school, which was not too long ago, there was a teacher called Mr. Knight, 
And he used to teach us biblical stories. And he told us about creation. And he gave us all seven pieces of paper. And he wanted us to draw a picture to represent the seven days of creation. And on the seventh day of creation, I drew a picture of an old man asleep in bed. And that was God. Because he was tired out, resting. But God didn't rest because he was tired. Because I read in Isaiah that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary or weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. God didn't rest because he was tired. Notice the phrase, an evening passed and morning came, making the sixth day. In the NIV it says, there was evening and then there was morning the first day. You see, in God's economy... The day starts with the evening. Think about that. See, we would say that our day starts when the alarm goes off. But God wants us to start in rest. Start in a place of rest. Yes, we sleep at the end of our day, but God's rest is better. You see, sometimes we hear the expression, Oh, he died and he went to his rest. Well, it does say, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But thy kingdom come is heaven on earth. God wants us to live on earth like he wants us to live in heaven, to be at rest. In other words, I want to be dead to the world and alive to him. That doesn't mean we're asleep and we can't be woken up. To be at rest. In Psalm 127, it says this, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God loves, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Our building and protection of him Our building and protection are of him, not of our own efforts. God wants us to come to a place of rest. When we're tired and stressed and feel pressed upon, what's the psalm we always read? Psalm 23. Let's turn to Psalm 23. The Lord, I'm reading from the NLT, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd Lord. The first line is a defining statement. Is my. Nothing else leads me. So who's leading you this morning? 
Is the Lord leading you? Or is something else leading you? Because the Lord is my shepherd. All we want is to be nearer Jesus. But to do that, we need to come more and more under his leadership to see him as Lord. I have all that I need. Now, all that I need is not necessarily all that I want. The other day, I went to Screwfix to get a plug. I managed to mend the sink, which was my wife was very impressed. And when I was in Screwfix, they gave me a catalogue. And when I came out, there was a lot of things that I wanted. I read the catalogue and I thought, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. But I didn't need it. And sometimes... Wanting is a greater need of unfulfillment in our lives. A greater need to make him the shepherd Lord. Because when he truly leads, contentment and peace and rest come. He lets me rest in green meadows. Now rest in God must not be confused with inactivity. And this is really where I want to get to this morning. You know... When I used to read that as a young Christian, I believed that it was somehow that God would beam me out of the situation, that suddenly he would plonk me into a field of meadows. I looked around this morning, and I'm not sure people remember this, but who remembers the flake advert? Only the crumbliest flaky, remember that? And there was this lady, and she was in this long flowing dress, walking through this field, just running her hands through the grass. You remember that? With a with a chocolate bar. It's everything I dream of. <laughs> Remember that? She was like eating this chocolate. You know, and none of it went on her lips, you know. She didn't none of it crumbled down her front. Do you remember that flakes? And I used to think that's what that's what it meant when God took me into a green meadow. You know, I was in the I was in the I was in the midst of some real disaster in my life. And all of a sudden I was in this meadow eating a flake. But it isn't like that. It really isn't. So you might wonder why I've got a table here this morning. So, if I drop to sleep, wake me up, will you? So, I've got my notes here so I don't forget what I'm going to say. But, you know, resting in God is being in a place of peace and quiet and stillness. But... It isn't that God's took me out of the situation, because I'm still in the situation, but I'm resting in his presence. You know, it's not, resting isn't um, watching a Netflix box set, or slobbing on the sofa and eating a whole box of quality streets. Not that I ever do that. Resting is knowing where I am in God. And Daz is just going to play a video... And I'm going to have a little sleep. But you know, sometimes our lives are like this, aren't they? It's just rush and rush and rush and rush. But the Word of God says this. It says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. And I will trust him. He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease, including the coronavirus. 
He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armour and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly in the day, nor dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at my side, though ten thousand are dying around you, those evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. No coronavirus will attack your family. It won't come near your home. For, you, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them when they're in trouble. I will rescue and honour them. I will reward, reward them with a long life and give them salvation. You know, when we're going through our busy life, all whizzing about, that's what I think about. Because God is with me. Because no matter how busy we are, when we're in the midst of the storm, he calls us into a green meadow to walk by streams, pastures, to feel his breath upon our shoulder. It says in Matthew, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach of you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Wouldn't this be a wonderful way to go through life? And yet God wants us to go through life like that. He does. I was dropping off then. That's how God wants us to go through our lives. To be at total peace. To know what the word of God says about us. To be so in comfort with him. So blessed by what he's doing. And yet, it says, even though I walk through the darkest veil. Even though. Even when. Even when implies that it might be part of the journey. The valley of the shadow of death, it says in some versions. The Moffat's the best version. It says, in a glen of gloom. <laughs> the darkest valley, dark ravines. I think it says the valley of the shadow of death because when we worry about things, we think them right through to the end and it always ends in death. But notice the word, it says, through. You see, he's not planning to stay there or hang about. I don't subscribe to wilderness experiences. People say, oh, I'm in the wilderness with the Lord at the moment. I don't believe that. The children of Israel were in the wilderness because they didn't obey God. They put themselves there. Why do I know I'm going to come through this? Because God is preparing a feast. 
Some versions say a table in the presence of my enemies. Whilst I'm in the valley, my eyes are set on the feast. You may be in a dark valley this morning, but don't plan to stay there because Jesus doesn't want you there. You see, you can learn things in the valley, but I don't think, that, I don't think God teaches you things in the valley because it would imply that he's put you there. Life does throw some curved balls at us sometimes, I admit that. Um, let me read something somebody said in the Bible. In this world, you'll have trouble. So who said that? Job, Job's comforters, Hosea, the weeping prophet. No, believe it or not, it was actually Jesus. Oh, Jesus couldn't have said that. He talks about victory and triumph. and oh. No, he says this. He said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And Jesus also said this. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus talking about trouble? Surely not. He's all about triumphalism and everything's going to be marvellous all the time. But Paul says in Corinthians, he says, We fix our eyes on what, on, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I fix my eyes on the table. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, Satan did this to me, and Satan did that to me, and the devil's getting at me today. Let me be clear, I do believe in the devil, and I do believe that there is a hell. But I think sometimes we give him too much credit. The other day, I was driving home, and I got a phone call from my lovely wife to tell me that the washing machine had given up the ghost and we needed a new one I don't know why we needed a new one she's not a washing machine engineer but she (laughs) informed me that we needed a new one so I'd had a very busy day at work and uh, I got home and the motherboard had gone and I couldn't open the door and there was water all over the kitchen floor but I didn't say and it wasn't a blessing I have to say and it was not what I needed and I cut my hand trying to get inside it and Anyway, and after three hours, I managed to get the damp towels out and order a new washing machine. But I didn't say, oh, the enemy's getting at me today, because the washing machine was 10 years old, and it was going to break down anyway. And that's what happens with washing machines. You see, Lucifer, he fell from heaven. He then became Satan, the fallen one. But now he's just a devil, because he's defeated And Jesus defeated him in his own back garden. And Satan isn't omnipresent. The devil, Satan, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere like God. I'm going to say something that's going to really shock you now. It's very unlikely that anybody in this room has actually been attacked by Satan himself, personally, physically. Because he can't be everywhere. Yes, he's got agents. But life does throw things at us sometimes. And Jesus said... You will have troubles. We need to get over them. Because the Lord is my shepherd. And he leads me by still streams. And sometimes we give Satan too much credit for things. Because in Colossians it says he's disarmed, he has disarmed all the powers and authorities. And he made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them over the cross. 
And sometimes we're accused of being triumphant. We're accused of triumphalism. But whatever comes my way, I set my eyes on the cross. I set my eyes on the feast. I set my eyes on the table. This month I've, I've um, had to overcome illnesses, financial problems, disappointments, uh, issues in my family. But they're just troubles. Because I know God is doing something great in my life. I know that he is for me. That he is almighty God. You prepare a feast in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. So I'm in the valley. And I've got goodness and unfailing love pursuing me. I've got my eyes set on the table, the feast. Why would I stay in the valley? Why would I stay there? Rest. To live in rest. Wonderful. In Isaiah 40 it says that those, even youth shall fail and be weary and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And it's time for some of us this morning to wait on the Lord. To step back. To assess our lives. And do we need to make some adjustments this morning? What is it that defines our life this morning? What is it that we're really known for? Are we known for Jesus? Are we known because of our job, because of our car, because of our money or lack of it, because of our attitude, because we serve a lot? God wants us to be defined by him, to live in a place of rest. To live in a place of rest. I know some of you, I can feel that some of you are really struggling with this concept, to live in a place of rest. But that's where God wants us to come. He wants, to, he wants us to live our lives all the time as if we're walking by still streams and green pastures. That's the way he wants us to live. Are we a Mary or a Martha? Do we serve reluctantly or do we not want to serve? Are we tired Are we weary this morning and carrying heavy burdens? Because God wants you to live in a place of rest. He doesn't want you to rest. He wants you to live in a place of rest. That's marvellous, isn't it? Jesus said, come to me, all of you. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all of you that are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. 
Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.